from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. Bonsoir, Montreal. Je m'appelle Ellie Unger-Sargon, et je suis juif. And that's all the French I've got. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. I want to give a special thanks to the whole network who's helping sponsor this 30-city tour that I'm currently in the middle of. Um, So just a few words about uh, the way things are going to go tonight, the format. Uh, I'm going to stop talking, and we will watch my film Cut, which is 70 minutes long. After the film, we have a special treat for you tonight. We have a panel discussion. Uh, I will be on the panel. Uh, I'm very uh, happy to announce that Maureen White, uh, who is a registered nurse and um, active in the field of circumcision for many years now, will be talking on the panel, as well as Rabbi Beulah, uh, who's a rabbi who lives here and uh, hails from Montreal also. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to have them both on the panel and very happy that they agreed to join us. So we'll have a sh- some short introductions about who Uh, We are as panelists, and then we'll open it up for question and answer. Uh, Someone will be coming around with a wireless microphone so that the podcast audience can actually hear what the person who's asking the question is. So don't bother grabbing the microphone. Just allow that person to hold it near you when you you ask your question, and and that'll be perfect. That'll come across very well. Uh, After the question and answer session is over, I'll be showing a five-minute extended trailer from my next documentary film, which is a documentary about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict called A People Without a Land. And uh, following that, we will move into the commerce section of the evening and the schmoozing section of the evening. For those of you who speak Yiddish, uh, we'll be chatting and uh, I will have DVDs for sale um, uh, of the film that you're watching that will have extra feature. They have extra features on there and uh, a whole bunch of other nice uh, sort of added bonus material. Coffee and cookies and schmoozing. Schmoozing is a very important part of all this, so I, I want everyone to, to have a chance to schmooze. So, you know, do buy things, but, but schmooze while you're buying. And, uh, and uh, so without further ado, thank you so much for coming, and uh, we'll talk after the screening. Thank you. Here I am, a thorn between two roses. Well, I that. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's a rose between two thorns. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out. Um, for this part of the, the evening, uh, I'm going to ask my co-panelists to introduce themselves. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with going through my whole history again. And if you have anything specific you want to ask me, of course, when we open up for question and answer, I'd be more than happy. I also want to thank Francis and all the organizers for, uh, for putting this together. I know it's not an easy sell, and I know it uh, probably... Uh, you probably encountered a lot of obstacles along the way, so thank you very much. I want to acknowledge the work that you did on pulling this together the way you did. So thank you very much. And with that, uh, I'd like uh, to hand over to um, Maureen, who's going to introduce herself. I'm Maureen White, not of White Letter Productions, <laughs> but mother of um, two intact sons and two intact grandsons and one intact granddaughter. And um, I have been at this business of intactivism, which was not called anything but rebellion for 
the first 40 years that I did it. I've been at it about 50 years now and um, began as a student nurse after having to observe what I would consider the mutilation of a little boy, four days old, that I'd been looking after since his birth and along with his mother. And I've been struggling to find information and um, people who also believe, as I do, that the body is inviolable and um, that circumcision is the same pain and loss for every child, no matter what religion or race or color or creed or anything else. And um, I would wish to um, educate and hope to protect every every newborn child of, of both sexes. I'm uh, Chaim Bula. I'm an ordained uh, Orthodox rabbi. I was ordained <coughs> here in Montreal by the Chief Rabbi of Montreal many years ago. I have, I'm a father. I have three daughters. And uh, I was invited uh, to uh, come to this evening through a friend of mine, a doctor, uh, uh, Ivan Rohan. And um, I, I saw the, uh, the clip, your YouTube uh, clip the other night. Uh, and again, seeing the movie this evening, I thought it was very, very well done, uh, very thoughtful, and it explored a lot of different aspects of, uh, of the circumcision, the Brit Mila, from many different points of view. And uh, I look forward to uh, sharing some of my views on it and hearing your questions. Wonderful. So with that, I'm going to open it up to questions to the audience. Yep. I would like to ask the rabbi um, what, what uh, Eli has just said. Uh, have you witnessed uh, the same sucking of the penis after circumcisions at any time in, in doing a bris? I have, uh, I have witnessed uh, the... Many times? I would say so. At least uh, a half a dozen times I've, I've seen it. I did want to make a comment, though, related to this, your question and to what Eli said. Uh, when you're talking about the, the, this, the, the mitzvah or the commandment of circumcision, and we'll probably get an opportunity to speak to this uh, more thoroughly later, uh, you know, the, the orig origin, and it was talked about in the movie too, but it, again, not crystallized too much in the movie, the origin explicitly. But when you compare it, as you did, Ali, just now to, let's say, two other commandments, there are other commandments, many commandments. I'll give an example, possibly, uh, of one now, let's say, ritual slaughtering, which, you know, could be also, aspersions have been cast on it, on its, you know, human, you know, humanistic aspects. Uh, so there, there are many commandments that are going to fall, I would think, in the, in the same category and could be questioned in similar, in a similar fashion. So that's what I wanted to start off opening ritual, up. Ritual sla slaughtering of what? Of, let's say, beef, cattle. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a really important point. Um, I think circumcision is a really stark example of that that is very interesting to me as a model for how to deal with these issues that, are, that you see a conflict in. Because unlike some of the other issues, and ritual slaughter is a, is a good example, um, I would say the role of women in Judaism is another example, um, in particular if you're looking at it from an Orthodox perspective. But with the role of women in Judaism, there are certain denominations that have addressed that issue. Um, so the Reform and Conservative have um, 
given women complete equality in ritual performance in the synagogue, um, and they ordain uh, women rabbis. Um, so, but circumcision is still universally practiced, um, and so I think it's, it's, it's an even stronger example of this conflict that I'm talking about, and it's something that, um, that no Jew can, can sort of ignore or escape. I don't think the equality, with all due respect, I don't think the equality issue is quite falls into the same category as, as the questions that you posed for circumcision and as I suggested, maybe with the ritual slaughtering. I think they're closely related and we'd have to think of others. I think the, the question of equality for women is, is kind of, it's, it's not, uh, you know, unless you're going to argue by, by having this separation in prayer or dehuman, you know, treating them second class, but it isn't that physical, there's never been that cast of aspersion that you're that you're doing something that is pain, you know, physically painful. Even though, again, they're, obviously they're inextricably linked, the you know psychological pain. But if we're talking physical pain, you know, as far as for now, the two that seem similar off the top of my head would be these two. Let's say circumcision and ritual slaughtering. The reason I, I bring, let's say, the ritual, the question of ritual slaughtering up is. These are, these are commandments, and going back to the source, these are commandments that I believe, or I could even say I know that they are, and this would be a whole topic or a whole movie for another time, are commandments from, from God that the Jews received. Not only uh, did Abraham receive these commandments, but we as Jews received, and the entire community, millions of Jews, received these commandments from God after they left Egypt. So that's where I feel like in the movie, some of the deeper, you know, religious core beliefs, when they're explained a little deeper, then the understanding, can, we could have a better understanding why Orthodox Jews or any even conservative reform have such a strong connection to this, this commandment of circumcision. It's not just, uh, you know, a commandment that is being done uh, just for the sake of inflicting pain. It's coming from a very deep-rooted source that this is God's commandment, a very literal. It's in chapter 17, starting with Abraham, and then, again, repeated in several other stories. And again, this is not the format necessarily to go through all chapters and verse, but it's mentioned many times explicitly in the Bible. So this is a scriptural commandment uh, from God. And if you believe that the as the rabbi said quite eloquently, one of the rabbis in the, the movie, I can't recall his name, the Orthodox rabbi, he eloquently said that this is kind of where, you know, the rubber hits the cement. If you believe or you know, you get to a, a level of consciousness where you uh, know that these are God-given commandments, then, you know, you're, you're, giving, you're giving yourself over to that knowledge and that faith that God, being the creator, knows what's best for our bodies the Jewish body in this case being the commandment to the Jews. Now, as, as a religious Jew, especially as a rabbi, what do you question in your mind that may be wrong with the religion and the writing of the Old Testament and the books of Moses, etc.? What things disturb you in what's handed down to us? And in my belief, I'm a Reformed Jew. I'm a Christian, okay? But I'm a Reformed Jew by belief. Because Jesus was a Jew, okay? And his teachings are good for everybody because whether you believe in him or not, also I say to my Jewish friends, it seems the timing of Jesus and the, the coming of John the Baptist, etc., that the Jews have broken Jewish law. If, 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 as you know, Messiah means a messenger in Hebrew, okay? He seemed to be the only messenger ever written about. 
so in there. But my question is this. The, my belief is the Bible is written by man, and as somebody gives you a message, your story can change in the delivery or the concept because God is talking to the prophets and they're relaying it as they remember. So as a, as a sensible person, half my Jewish friends, half my Muslim friends eat pork. In the day when those laws were given down, they didn't know about trichinosis, they didn't know about cooking and getting rid of the disease that comes from pork. And as, as indicated with some of your religious people, the modernization, changing of the thought has to come into, into um, our, our minds to go to old tradition and say, we have to go this way. It's like the Roman Catholic Church. You, you do it our way or no way, okay? Now, can the Jews be changed? Can, you know, can they use their heads to say, well, we're modernizing now. Pork won't kill us. We understand why it was down. And my question comes in in circumcision, that that rule of circumcision may have been because of certain diseases and so on, that you didn't have medicine to correct at that time. I was very impressed with your, with your uh, documentary. Um, I, I concur with Maureen that circumcision should not be practiced, okay? Uh, after seeing your presentation and looking at the pros and cons and your presentation of it, um, I agree that it would be better not to. I base this on God. If God is a perfect God and made a perfect world, why didn't he make them circumcised? I happen to be circumcised. Okay? Rabbi, do you want to take uh, this first? I want to I take this first. I've got first. a big opinion, but I try to use my head and Excellent. I try to be honest. <clears throat> okay. I want to go back a little bit to the beginning and then I'll try to remember the end and, and, and watching the documentary or I, sorry if I refer to it as a movie or documentary, uh, I, I, in some senses I wished we could stop it and you know it's so complex and there's so many great things said throughout the movie mm -hmm. that it would be great to almost to stop it in little bites and be able to digest it and discuss little bites and that's what I just heard from you. What I heard from you was you know was very interesting things. Uh, but I'll try just to touch on two points. One is, uh, I, I'm going to disagree with you, and I, I, I'm just going to be repeating myself a few times this evening, uh, because sometimes it's, it's news to people, and my friends too. I have a lot of friends that, uh, when I tell them, uh, you know, Jewish friends and not Jewish friends, I tell them that there were millions of people in the year 2448 from creation of the world. That itself is news to them but that the world you know, was created 5,772 years ago. And by the way, Happy New Year. Uh, so, so that in itself is news to people. When I tell them that in the year 2448, the Jews left Egypt, there were millions of people at Mount Sinai, and they heard God give, over, give the commandments. You know, to debate tonight whether they heard all 613 or just 10, it's beyond the scope. But this is the fundamental principle that I believe and know in, also studying a lifetime, uh, that the, the commandments in the Torah are God-given. So I don't agree with your premise that you say man-written. I believe every single letter, every single word, every single letter is dictated by God in the five books of Moses I'm talking about, as you would call it, or may call it part of the Old Testament, but I'm talking about the five books of Moses. And this contains the commandment of circumcision there, there within. 
So that's the first point that I wanted to make. The second, so that's why it's so hard to get away, no matter what anecdotal evidence that might be in the documentary, what other anecdotal evidence out there, you know, or how hard it is to look at the circumcision, let's say, because it's, it's a child, it's a baby, right? But nevertheless, if we believe that the Creator, believe and know that the Creator made us and knows what's best for us, that's kind of where the, again, like the rabbi said in the movie, the rubber hits the cement. If we believe in it and know that, it's very, make the sacrifice. It's very hard to get away. Yeah, of course, we, we, we make that decision to follow the Creator instead of, like you said, that's the choice that we have in life. I make that choice every day. Am I going to follow my, you know, make my choice to go left or right based on my own intellect, solely on my own intellect, my own passions, desires? Or am I going to also look to something higher, look to the Bible, look to the Torah, look to God to help me to make that decision? And in this case, and in so many cases, I look to God. And I'd like to, um, with great respect for the rabbi's perspective, um, uh, disagree uh, on my understanding of the beauty inherent in the Jewish tradition. And, um, and I think part of what I was trying to do in the film was really pose that question. Because if you understand what circumcision is, and you accept the uh, empirical evidence that I bring in the film, then you're forced to make a decision about what it means to be a Jew. Does being a Jew mean what the rabbi just articulated? Does it mean what Rabbi Heshi Warsh in the film articulated, which is, I can have as many opinions as I want, but at the end of the day, I do what I promised? Or is it something different? And my vision of the Jewish tradition and my attraction and continued um, sort of amazement with it uh, and wonder at it is that it's actually, um, uh, in contrast to many other fun uh, fundamentalist traditions, there's a two-part system here. And the two-part system is the written law and the oral law. The written law is what's written in the Bible. It's there for everyone to see. The oral law is a series of struggles, conversations, hermeneutic interpretations that would strain credulity and bend the text to the breaking point. And this was the rabbinic innovation. And this we see in the great works of the Mishnah and the Talmud. And um, to me, that's the essence of the Jewish tradition. And ironically, um, one of the greatest proponents of this mode, this religious mode of Arguing with God himself is the very person who was given the commandment of circumcision. Mm. Uh, when Abraham um, confronts God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he says to him, the Hebrew is, Will the judge of the earth not perform justice? And to me, in a nutshell, that's the essence and the beauty of the Jewish tradition that when your conscience bothers you about something, it is not outside of the realm of possibility to argue with God about it. And for Abraham to say, will the judge of the earth not perform justice, he needs to be able to stand on firm ethical ground um, in himself and make an argument against what the creator of the world is doing. And so for me, that's what I love about the Jewish tradition. That's what makes it dynamic. That's what makes it exciting. And um, on this particular issue, I think there's room to talk. In terms of covenant, um, earlier in Genesis, 
um, when we talk about creation. And um, I like to uh, refer to creation theology in context of, of the creation of man and woman, and uh, in which God, it is said that God created us, male and female, he created us. And to me, that is covenant. And it's the first covenant. And if we do anything to destroy that creation, I think we're disobedient to God. And um, circumcision would be, to me, one of the very first disobediences. And I realize this is radical and that uh, it's definitely a Christian viewpoint. And um, we see in the New Testament that uh, circumcision was set very clearly aside. And as much that is unsaid about it is interesting as is said, because Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus could have circumcised. Jesus did not circumcise. The one comment about Jesus in relation to circumcision is in John 7, verses 19 to 21. And pardon me if it sounds a bit fundamentalistic, but it is not um, uh, something that he did but something or even really said against circumcision but simply that um, he was being criticized for breaking the sabbath law by healing on the sabbath and he then said in return to the pharisees and other rabbis um, look you criticize me for healing on the sabbath but you circumcise on the sabbath i make man every bit whole on the Sabbath and you injure someone on the Sabbath but you criticize me and that interests me um, we look at um, uh, all through the rest of the New Test uh, the New Testament well the the Gospels and that's that's the only thing the only comment that was made in terms of Jesus and circumcision so I find that interesting as part of the New Covenant but I think it's in continuity with creation theology. He was not willing to sacrifice his father's creation. All right, let's take our next question, okay, please. I, I, I will uh, have a, may, maybe a comment instead of a question. I believe that in your film, it was uh, very clearly uh, in, uh, explained, and probably nobody would doubt that uh, you know it's uh, medically uh, harmful to uh, men to undertake uh, that uh, circumcision. But the only problem is that you know if it's written in the law, so you must. Uh, I'm a Christian, so I don't have such, such a problem. But if it's uh, written in that Old Testament that you know you must do that, so it's very difficult to to change it unless maybe Jews who are waiting for Messiah. And uh, Christians are waiting also for Messiah. Maybe Jews would convert to Christianity and there won't be any problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I think I, I want to respond to that quickly. Um, I think hell will freeze over before most Jews convert to Christianity. So we can, uh, we can all agree on that point. But um, I do want to address the, the issue. Um, it is hard for Jews to take something that fundamental to the tradition and change it or question it or move forward on it. I, I, I would never minimize um, the uh, gravity 
of what I'm suggesting here. This is a serious, serious issue. Um, having said that, um, we have instances in Jewish history in which um, some brilliant, brilliant rabbis figured out ways to move the tradition uh, in response to a problem that they had. I'll give you a concrete example so that we're not talking abstractly right now. The death penalty is something that was practiced throughout much of Jewish history. Uh, many gruesome, we're, uh, we're coming up to Yom Kippur, and part of the liturgy, uh, we go through some of the more gruesome uh, modes of the death penalty. Uh, hot lead being poured down someone's throat and hanging, and there are all sorts of horrible things. Um, and the rabbis were offended by this. And we have very good evidence that they figured out a way to legislate the death penalty out of the Jewish tradition. Now, they didn't eliminate it, um, because being brilliant uh, at hermeneutics, they didn't need to eliminate it. What did they do? They put all sorts of requirements on the death penalty so that it became virtually impossible to ever convict someone and, and put them to death. You have to have warning <laughs> before the crime. You have to have two witnesses who saw the crime. Um, and what this did, and we, we know this from the Talmud, there's a story in the Talmud that says any Jewish court that uh, executed someone um, once every 70 years was considered to be harsh. And so I think this is a concrete example of a situation in which the rabbis were morally offended by an element of the tradition and they figured out a very creative way to uh, legislate it out of practice, basically. Nobody, nobody died from circumcision. Okay, and oh, that... Yes. Oh, yes. Wait, wait, and that I need to respond to because uh, that's not true. But no, I mean, no, no, I mean, I mean uh, as a whole, as, I mean, people die of virus. No, know. no, 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 but we have uh, stories in the Talmud, actually. Um, there's a very clear story in Yevamot of, um, you know, if a woman circumcises two of her children and they die from circumcision, does she still have to circumcise the third? And there's a dispute about whether or not she has to circumcise the third or only, you know, or not circumcise the third or not circumcise the fourth. So they knew very well that children die from this. And I'm sure that in pre-antiseptic times, many more children died than die today. And we know that today children die from circumcision-related complications all the time. This is... It wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't only from antiseptic. It was from being a hemophilia. Hemophiliac, yeah. right? That's another thing. But they were absolutely well aware that children died from circumcision. I have to say I find it fascinating that you say a woman is allowed not to circumcise her child when it's really a completely patriarchal institution. I mean, the, the child is taken from the woman by the, the men of, of, uh, of the culture and, and then uh, circumcised, although we see moyalettes now. But um, well, I, I mean, what about a, a man not well, being alive? Well, right, so, and th yeah. this comes to the history of circumcision. Um, I may have misspoken uh, by saying a woman. I, I believe... No, it's, that's the... the is, is that... I th yes, okay, well, said. I mean, then we have to understand something about the history, which, and this is important, actually, is that before the Middle Ages, um, the woman was the sandek. Oh. That was actually, that's how things were done. It was the Middle Ages when they were taken out of the equation. That's okay. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, that's that. So that that's that would explain mm -hmm. that the Talmud mm -hmm. is pre-Middle Ages. Okay. Um, it's uh, it was redacted in uh, I believe the sixth century C.E. And so at the time, it was common practice for women to be 
the ones holding their babies during the circumcisions. Uh, during the medieval period, women were completely removed from the picture, and the and it, it also moved from the home to the synagogue. Um, so there was mm -hmm. there were all sorts of historical factors you, here. This might be a, just a question off to to illustrate your point. To I would I would ask, uh, who knows who was the first Mohelet? Ellie, you, you might know. I being do. A, being a a yeshiva bach, an well, I do bach. know who the first Mohelet was, and it, it illustrates a very interesting point. Yes. Uh, two interesting points. Number one, that one of the greatest Jews who ever lived according to the tradition, Moses, was most likely not circumcised. And he didn't want to circumcise his son. There's a very bizarre passage in Exodus uh, in which it says Moses uh, stopped by at a hotel, and God wanted to kill him. And his wife, Zipporah, took a flint and circumcised their baby and threw the bloody foreskin at his feet and said, you are my bridegroom of blood. Uh, so Tsipora would have been the first Mohelet. How did I do, Rabbi? Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Very good. He knows, he knows he's a stopper. Do you know how you test the microphones? Just testing. <laughs> uh, I have a question for uh, Eli. Um, I assume by watching the end of the film that you're going to decide if you have a boy to let him decide if he's going to have a, a bris, or will you do a bris shalom instead? Well, I don't have the pleasure of having to make that decision yet, but I would, I would not circumcise a son. I would let them make that decision for themselves. And I, I'd like to add to that, and um, the rabbi might correct me on this point, but I, I'm not aware of any ritual exclusion, despite what some of the people in my film said, for men who are not circumcised, Jewish men who are not circumcised. I know that there are political things that happen where a rabbi won't give them a bar mitzvah because they don't like that he's not circumcised, but from a halachic Jewish law perspective, um, with the single exception of the, the paschal lamb, which hasn't been brought in over 2,000 years and we don't know when it's going to be brought again, I am not aware of a single religious exception, in other words, a single thing that an uncircumcised Jewish male cannot participate in ritually. I contrast that with people who are not Sabbath observant, and there are severe consequences in Jewish law to not being Sabbath observant, including not being trusted uh, on issues of, uh, on legal issues as a witness. You can't be relied upon to make sure that food is kosher. Um, am, am I getting this right? Is this right? I, w I would agree with most of what you say. It's a very complex question. I would leave it for, uh, for the uh, Jewish courts to decide, as far as the the uh, what what you know, cause, and every community is different because sometimes uh, ra, you know the the Bezdin will implement, like you've talked about before, they just as they will implement sometimes uh, leniencies. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the whole example that you gave as far as the the death penalty, but there are times when they will implement uh, leniencies usually, and they, according to the Torah, they usually have to be temporary. They have to be temporary. They're not uh, a leniency that is going to be uh, for a long duration, and they're subject to many tests. The same thing as stringencies, also additional stringencies, sometimes are implemented, and they are all only uh, temporary. But uh, what I wanted to say with regard to, uh, so, uh, so and, and they can differentiate from community to community. It's left up, the, again, the Bible gives the power, and this is a commandment too that a, pe a lot of people overlook. The power of the Bible itself in Deuteronomy, the, the Bible itself gives a power to the legitimate rabbis to, uh, to impose certain uh, rules, either leniencies or stringen stringencies. And these, 
and since the Bible itself is giving us, since God, it, again, believe, coming from a place of believe, believing and knowing that this is God's word, God himself is giving the power to the legitimate rabbis, and that's again a per, maybe a personal decision, who are they, uh, to, to uh, impose, be it temporary penalties, uh, on somebody that's not circumcised, or be it uh, you know penalties on, or any type of leniencies or stringencies. But just to backtrack briefly back to the example, the reason I mentioned the ritual slaughtering, this is this is critical, and I've spoken more to this than I have spoken to uh, circumcision. That's why I was interested to come out to, to have this opportunity, and I thank I want to take this opportunity to thank you that you got a chance to to develop my my position or my understanding of, uh, of this, because only through discussions like this do you really uh, flesh out, in a sense, your, your understanding and position on a, on a topic. So it is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity to learn from each other. Uh, but when we talk about ritual slaughtering or, again, circumcision, there have been times, and it was touched in the movie, there have been times when people will say, oh, it's beneficial, beneficial to do it the, the God-given way. And there's been times when the people say it's not beneficial. Some people, some, there's been times that it's neutral. Now it seems to be, if you look at circumcision, it's neutral. If I look at ritual slaughtering, they're done properly. I see like pet, what do they call it? Pita, peta. They say that it's that Jewish ritual slaughtering done properly is, is the least cruel way of doing it. So that's again where I come from. My belief and my understanding and a little different to what was stated in the movie uh, um, a commandment from God cannot be uh, a negative thing. It has to be a beneficial thing. Even if you draw out, you know, all the physio uh, physiology, at the end of the day, it has to be beneficial. And there, you know, again, when do we know from generation to generation these things, the, the so-called experts, you have to battle the experts. Even right now, if I called up the top experts, you probably could find some that will say that it's beneficial to, to perform circumcision. And there are some that uh, would say, no, it's, it's neutral or it's not beneficial. You know? So there's the battle of the experts. Again, it goes back to belief and knowledge that the Creator knows us best. And I, my knowledge, my belief tells me that he would not ask us and tell us to do something that was negative. It has to, at worst, it could be neutral. And in best case, it tells us everything in the Bible is referred to as good. So it's telling us things that are beneficial. That isn't the primary purpose. Don't misunderstand me. The, and I agree with what your father said. It's not, I don't fall in that trap to say, oh, that's the primary purpose why I do it. The primary purpose that I do it is because God asked me to do it or told me to do it. So I choose to do it. But I know and believe that there cannot be, it cannot be detrimental, just as we've seen ritual slaughtering or, or be it uh, circumcision or any, the whole host of commandments. Aspersions have been cast that they're negative, but at the end of the day, I, at worst, I usually, you know, the data usually shows them being uh, neutral over time or flip-flops. So that implies to me, here we are thousands of years later, let's stay on the point of ritual slaughtering. And they really haven't come up with a better, with all the technology and the computers, they really haven't come up a better, than a better way to do it. We still follow the old Jewish way. If, if they did come up with a better, the problem with coming up with a better way to do it, the problem to me, would be problematic to me. That would mean that God has become 
obsolete, that he couldn't see into the future really and give us the best way. Because he's, most of these commandments, God said, this is the way I want you to do it forever. He didn't say until you, until you figure out how to run computers. He said forever. So, so the implication is that these are going to be forever the best way. And so far, mo a lot of them, I haven't seen anything, you know, tonight per se, you know, a lot of things were flashed on, on, a, on a documentary. Like I said, I've spoken to doctors. Even today, I sat down with a couple of doctors. And the, there's the battle of the experts on most of these, these topics. Well, I, I just I want to respond to, to that side of it, because I actually don't think that the perspective that I presented on the health benefit question and on the sexual effects of circumcision is particularly controversial. Um, there are people in the world, um, people in the medical community, and I think that they're becoming increasingly marginal characters that believe that circumcision is beneficial medically. Um, but they, even they can't deny the empirical evidence that I brought tonight about the sexual harm of circumcision. They can sort of bury their head in the sand and ignore some of the facts that I've brought out that have been, um, you know, sort of confirmed and reconfirmed over the last 10 years. The, the, the uh, original Taylor study that I showed, they did their original research in the early 90s, presented it in the mid-90s. It's been um, duplicated um, a number of times leading right up to today. Yang et al., Dong et al., uh, and then Sorrell's et al. in 2007. These are studies that have uh, reconfirmed the presence of this high concentration of Meisner's corpuscles and where our understanding of the sexual function of this very dense network of nerve endings is increasing um, by the year. We now actually understand some of the circuits involved and how they um, have a very complex interplay of pleasure and inhibition of sensation in certain parts. Mm -hmm. um, do you, do you want to add well, something to I that? I want to say that at the end of the first study, Taylor said that um, all of the nerves of the prepuce may be associated with the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is a motor sensory nerve that runs from the base of the brain uh, and is involved with many areas of the cerebellum and the cerebrum and runs through the entire body affecting every organ in the torso. And uh, if that is associated with the nerves of the prepuce, then cutting of the prepuce affects every one of those organs and many areas of the brain also. And that, I think, is something, of course, that needs much more research. Another thing that needs much more research is the effect that it has on couples. And one of the things that I do in, I have a little foundation called Far Reach, Foundation for Research and Re-Education Assuaging Circumcision Harms. And I believe there are many harms. And I have done a lot of couple counseling, um, one which I actually am having published that I presented in Berkeley last year at the No Circ Symposium, their 11th symposium, and in which um, a couple came to me uh, the man having had a very, very uneven circumcision as a child, as a, a newborn, and which caused something called bowing and deformation of his erection to the point where he was almost unable to have insertion with his wife, and in which um, the effort to achieve orgasm, he usually bruised her. 
And so uh, we were able to deal with this through the, the uh, um, technique that Ron Lowe has developed of foreskin restoration to the degree where over nearly 18 months he was able to even his foreskin to the point where his erections were straight and they were able to have almost normal intercourse and uh, that was um, eight months ago and now continuing on he has completed the procedure and they are a, he and his wife are able to have normal intercourse now they were on the verge of divorce very close family they were distant cousins and they spent all of their holidays together both family there was no concept of your mums or my mums for Christmas or Easter or whatever. Everybody went everywhere together and uh, for that couple to have divorced would have really made a, a, a terrible rupture of, of a wonderful family. And I, um, he is one of, um, it is estimated that 2 to 10% of people, of men, uh, suffer these additional injuries. And that's straight across the board, religious circumcisions and m medical, so-called medical circumcisions. I don't think it's possible to say medical circumcision because there is no medical benefit. It's not medicine that's practiced. And uh, so of if one million babies were circumcised in 2005, 2 to 10 percent of them will suffer what we call botches, which is what this man suffered, and his was not by any means the worst. Many men lose all or part of the glands, the urethral structures, um, some lose the entire penis, and every year in the United States and Canada combined uh, up to 150 infants are lost through religious and uh, quote quote medical circumcision. So I think the I, I would agree there's absolutely no controversy on um, on the medical um, aspects of it. I want to make two points on this. One is uh, you'll be shocked that I'm going to agree with you that it's painful. Uh, the Talmud tells us so. Tanya tells us that one of the reasons. It's uh, the, the, or not that the, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Not that it's painful that the, the baby is crying from the loss. What is the cry from the baby primarily? This is what the Talmud and the Tanya tells us. How they, they derived at this is a question for another time. They say, the, the rabbis say, the baby is crying because of his lost future pleasure, as you talk. So I'm going to agree that there is a loss because Again, anything that it says in, in, in the, uh, the Bible and the Talmud, I'm willing to stand by. It's time-tested, even if it wasn't tested by mm -hmm. me, it was tested by lots of uh, young Bachram like you, Eli. So, and it stood the test from many, many people. Uh, again, because, it, because it's God's intellect, that's why I believe that it's, it's been able to stand the test for so long. The other point being that, that you, you made that uh, there's a lot of botched, uh, there's a lot of botched and, and problems in a lot of fields, in a lot of areas uh, that don't misunderstand my, my support, my faith and knowledge uh, of, of, of uh, be it bris, circumcision, ritual circumcision. And of course, I'm only talking to ritual, Jewish ritual circumcision. That's the only thing that I'm a uh, proponent of. 
and, uh, and ritual slaughtering again. Uh, I'm a proponent for that probably in all cases because it's a, it's a kinder, gentler way, even according to PETA, than doing it, uh, of killing an animal. So we, if we must do it, uh, then we should do it the kindest way that everybody agrees or most people agree. Now, with regard to, to brisses or circumcision, ritual circumcision, of course there's, people are human, and unfortunately there are people that are going around maybe doing this operation uh, even though the doctor said it's fairly simple, I've heard of cases, I've heard doctors or, or males say, you know, these people, there are people that should not be doing it. Even the classic story is told once a chassid went to his, his rabbi and said, you know, who should I get to do my circumcision? And his rabbi said, well, a male, of course. And he said, no, no, I have a choice, rabbi, between two people. One who knows all the, the Kabbalistic meaning behind it, but he's got a little bit of a shaky hand, and the other one who doesn't know all the Kabbalistic meanings behind it, but he's got, he's, uh, he's got hands of a surgeon. And the, his Rebbe said, listen, when it comes to, to the bris milah, we need somebody, you know, who, you need a good cutter. So that, that's my point, <laughs> is, of course, you can have people that are, you know, and just as in ritual slaughtering, we've had a problem that there are people who don't do it properly. It has to be done properly. So just because it's, it's been done improperly and there's been uh, problems with it, that's not necessarily a reason uh, or a rationale to me uh, to outlaw it. You, because on that basis, you could outlaw, you could start outlawing every, just about everything in the Torah. And in a nutshell, that's why I didn't include any discussion of the complications in my film, because it's very easy to dismiss. And I think that circumcision is actually a very good example of a situation in which even if there are no further complications, mm -hmm. you're still causing damage to a person's nervous system, you're still causing pain, um, and uh, you're still causing a lifelong permanent body modification that that person did not consent to. And that's the ethical problem, really. Mm -hmm. That's the center of this conflict that I keep coming back to. Let's, let's take another question. I had a couple of questions, actually, for uh, Rabbi Bula. Um, the first question was, you mentioned before that um, if a child would remain uncircumcised, he might face some sanctions from the rabbi um, because he would be, quote-unquote, a second-class citizen. And um, so just wondering about that. Is it really fair for the rabbi to, you know, punish the child who was not responsible for deciding not to get circumcised, why on earth would that child be punished, you know, or have some sanctions imposed upon his status by the rabbi for a decision that he did not make? It was not the child who chose not to be circumcised, it was the parents who decided to leave him intact. So that was my first question. My second question was um, um, about the bar uh, mitzvah. Does the rabbi know, really know, if the child has been circumcised or not, and how? And I, I, I want to add to that, if you could be much clearer about what kinds of sanctions and what precedent you're familiar with for there being sanctions, because I am unfamiliar um, with a few exceptions that have to do with um, Dutch history. A certain time in Jewish history where it was, there was, um, it was during, uh, just after the Inquisition uh, had ravaged uh, certain parts of Europe, and there were Jews who had gone underground, and they were coming out of their hiding, and so there was a big question about who's Jewish and who's not. So adults, uncircumcised adults at some point, were not allowed into the community. But that was a very exceptional time in Jewish history. With that single exception, really, 
I'm not familiar with a single halachic sanction that has ever been placed on a person for being intact. So I'll address uh, your question, both questions. Uh, the first part, I think your question was, uh, uh, can I be more explicit on the, uh, on the restrictions? I, I can't really be, like I said, and like Ellie's touched upon, uh, as far as I know, I don't, I, I've been a puppet rabbi, never uh, implemented. I don't think, I, again, in small communities, the, the, a puppet rabbi might, the, you know, the rabbi of the community might uh, implement some restrictions as, you know, not, not having an aliyah at the, at the synagogue, uh, you know, certain restrictions could be, could be placed on the, on the person that is not uh, circumcised. Uh, I don't, I can't tell you what the, you know, what each community does or what any of them, I don't have really any past experience with that. With regard to uh, is the fairness of it, uh, that's a great question. Is it fair? Uh, probably not, in a sense. It's it's not fair. It's not fair when a when a child is, uh, let's say, born uh, illicitly from an illicit relationship. Uh, you know, if the definition, let's say, of a of a ba let's say the Torah, out of wedlock, the Bible, mean. not out of wedlock. A when a married woman, let's say would go with, uh, with, um, with another okay. man, because that's a different definition for, for as, as far as I know, for Jews, what a bastard is. So a bastard child has certain restrictions placed on him. Is it fair that the Torah, that the Bible places these restrictions? Is it fair that we be circumcised and we have, like I said, less enjoyment? Because I'm not gonna argue, go against my own Torah, my own Talmud that says that the male will have less, less pleasure. Is that fair? You could say it's not fair. The Torah is it. I didn't join up with the with the Torah to be in a in a fair intellectual my fairness. You know, uh, a lot of people said uh, Nazi Germany was fair. These were the great intelligentsia, the intellectuals. The read the attraction to me to Judaism, and I don't call it a religion. That's a misnomer also, and again a topic for another night. But I joined up. Obviously, it was a gift that was given to me because I'm I was born Jewish. But I I remain. Uh, you know, with all my convictions, and I keep on studying, and that's what I saw beautiful, in, you know, a beauty in the movie, how Ellie showed that his father continue studying, continue learning, understanding deeper, and knowing deeper and deeper that these are the commandments of God, and, and they it's a system that I choose to, to use because I feel that it's the best system out there. It's the best system in the world. It's God's system. It works. Is it always fair in my intellectual mind? Sometimes yes, sometimes not at that moment, but then with further study I say, oh, it is fair. Maybe not at, right at that moment. Maybe not when I'm so involved, when it's my child or my friend's child. You know? But when I look at the bigger picture or when I see down the road, I see the fairness, the beauty of, the, of God's creation, the Torah. Great. So offhand, you don't know of the sanctions that would be no. imposed? No. And you agree then that it would be not be fair? The, the second question was about the bar mitzvah. But um, don't don't take me out of context. I say they could be they could be labeled at that moment as as unfair, but with again a further study or thought, and also with deep thought, even at that moment, I understand that they are fair. They are fair because God, the Creator, says in, intellectually maybe at that moment I can't understand the fairness, 
but into, you know, the exact mathematics, the equation, right. but in a bigger context, in, a different, in different dimensions, I can certainly look at the big picture and say it's fair. And then I could even start looking deeper, deeper in and see that the penalty is, uh, is the, the, the temporary sanction. In a case like this, especially since it's temporary, I can definitely see it. The, the, some of the harder ones is when they're permanent sanctions, like the example that I gave. A temporary sanction is sometimes, you know, built in for the better of the, the betterment, just like we, we, when we have a child. As a father, you know, is it fair? The kids say, it's not fair that you're punishing me. But then later they say, Daddy, thanks for punishing me. You put me back on the, on the right road. It's only temporary. If we punish them for, for long term or ever, that's when it, it becomes a much more difficult question. But in a temporary sanction, uh, a lot of times the, the person themselves that's being sanctioned comes to appreciate it. And certainly it has a, a, so it has a better good for the individual and also for the community at large. And I, again, I wanna, we're going to move on to the next question, but I just want to emphasize on this point that um, I think that there's a, a perception out there that leaving a, a Jewish boy intact has severe ritual and religious consequences. And as I've said, and I, I'll continue to repeat until someone proves me wrong on this point, I'm not aware of a single thing. Um, again, political issues aside, there are things that local rabbis can do to people if they want to, to make their lives miserable religiously. But, you know, political issues aside and that discretionary matter aside, there is not a single ritual uh, exception to what an intact male cannot do. But that's not, sorry. Even the bar mitzvah? I, no, I, gotta, I have to interject here. That, I missed the, the most critical point. And you have to go back to, to Genesis 17 then, okay, chapter 17. Read, read the, 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 what the Torah has to say on this. Unfortunately, the Torah is very, you know, not, not fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way perspective you want to take, is very explicit on this. That the, the repercussion for this is a separation, excision, whatever the translation of karis, from the community. From, from the, the nation of Israel. So the penalty is a very spiritual penalty, which again is, is a very significant. If it can't be put into be a penalty of death, it can't be put into a category of, of uh, flogging, flag flagellation, whatever, but it's in a category of the, that the Torah goes so far, God says that you are separated, that you are cut off. This is, this is quite a statement for the Bible. It doesn't make it about every single commandment. This is a very fundamental commandment, the commandment of circumcision. It's a special commandment because it's a commandment. It's, King David differentiated it from all other commandments. He says it, he realized one time, again, to abbreviate the story, he, re, he felt sad one time. He was depressed. He thought he was naked of, of commandments. And then he realized that he had still had, he had the, the commandment of circumcision upon himself. And the rabbis say, so he put on tefillin in the morning, he did other things, he constantly learned. So why did he get all excited and uh, it's, why did his depression cease when he thought of his circumcision? And the rabbis realized that the distinction that he was making was circumcision, as we've discussed, it's continuous, it never goes away. It's one commandment, one commandment that Jews have continuously because you you know sometimes there have been people that try to you know eradicate it or erase it in some ways and this has very problematic and, and another again as a conversation for another time they, ha they right, fall into a different category but I just want to emphasize that one is the the Bible is very clear on the penalty you know much larger than not uh, you know of course it might be very big to the bar mitzvah kid that he doesn't have his bar mitzvah but he, we have people having their bar mitzvah when they're 70 and 80 today so again it's only a temporary 
punishment for you know penalty if implemented and in a lot of cases like we said probably not even implemented how would he the rabbi know he's certainly these are not one of the things that are checked for before the bar mitzvah they're checked to see do you know your your blessings and do you know how to read the torah if you want to read from the torah but this is not if that's what you were getting to there's no right. respect well, no physiological and i inspection. i'm gonna have to jump in here and i'm going to uh, correct the rabbi on a, on a, <laughs> on a point. <laughs> um, with respect. It is true that karet the punish, is the punishment given in Genesis 17 for not being circumcised. However, the concept of karet is complex, very poorly understood, and if you look at the rabbinic sources about what exactly that means, um, it's not entirely what you would think it means. Karet, being cut off from the people, according to the rabbis, according to our Talmud, which we both love, I, I assume, karet is something that occurs if a boy or if a man dies intact. It's not something that occurs during the lifetime of the individual. And therefore, it does not impact my argument that a person should be allowed to make their own decision. You do not get karet if you circumcise yourself at some point during your life. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as the choice is left up to the individual, that's all I care about. So that's the first point on karet. There are some uh, other consequences to karet that are spoken of, such as uh, early death or dying without children. Um, but the, the cutting off from the people only occurs when the person dies. And the other important thing to note about karet is that it's not just a punishment given for not being circumcised when you die. Karet is a punishment that's given for eating chametz, leavened products on the Passover. Karet is a punishment given for uh, people who do not observe the Sabbath, which, by the way, is also called a covenant in the Bible. So um, I think we need to be very careful when we talk about this spiritual concept of karet, which is uh, not very clearly defined and everyone agrees is not something that is implemented by man, but something that's implemented by God. Okay, can so, we wait for the mic to get to you, please? Just for, for the bar uh, mitzvah then, I just want to make a comment. Somebody told me that the rabbi can ask for a certificate of circumcision. Is that correct or not? He can ask. Yeah, listen, he's the <laughs> rabbi, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next. I just want to reply to May what Ellie says. I don't, I, I don't agree with uh, your interpretation of... Uh, of Karis. It's a complex issue. I agree with that point, but your interpretation is certainly not uh, the fundamental and traditional uh, explanation how it was handed down to me by my, by my rabbi and his rabbi. So uh, with due respect, that again, unless you're going to make me call you Rabbi Ali, uh, that's, that's one of the, uh, the benefits of smicha. Smicha means the unbroken chain of of you know the unbroken chain and it's been tested the, the chain has been tested to make sure that it's intact and that it's received the message uh clearly next question please um thank you may i yeah, yeah okay sure. yes i think that um as far as a human concern it seems like it's cruel to human babies to to cut off and hurt their nervous system from head to toe probably when you think about it because that's that happening I know it's got to affect every part of their body my brother's had it done and I but why you're Jew, if you're Jewish you have a grounds for that but why was it so universally taken that 
peoples everywhere started doing this. They're not Jewish, you know, just like the, the person, the rabbi said in the film, if you weren't Jewish, why would, in the world would you do that? Why did that concept just start across the board? And it just seems like a, a it, it just seems like a shame that it, that it happened. I, I appreciate the love of God that Jewish people have in their heart, but just as the angel struggled with, who was it, the, okay. the struggle and wrestling with the angel, why couldn't that concept be used with this circumcision things? If the if rules were changed in the deaf situation, why couldn't that concept be used in the circumcision issue? Okay. Well, I I mean, I think we've covered our different perspectives on the Jewish tradition. The rabbi has what I consider, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, just in a descriptive way, a more fundamentalist understanding of the tradition, and I have a non-fundamentalist understanding of the Jewish tradition, but to answer your question about how it started for non-Jews, um, it's a bizarre and entertaining and disturbing story. Um, it started as a Victorian health fad, um, and this was at a time when sex was considered um, not a good thing, uh, or let's say sex uh, not for the express purpose of procreation, sexual pleasure was looked upon with great suspicion. Um, and the Victorians believed that this, um, number one, would, uh, would be an effective way of stopping boys from masturbating, which we mentioned in the film. Uh, and then, um, that, that was an early reason given. Um, some of the very strange theories about the body that existed in the late 19th century played a role in the adoption of circumcision. Um, and you see some really bizarre case studies early on of, you know, doctors claiming that circumcision cures paralysis of different kinds and epilepsy and diabetes and I mean it's really kind of a bizarre bizarre story but um, as Len Glick said in the film every generation uh, came up with a new reason and a new rationale for doing this and it usually clustered around the disease that was most important in that day or most scary uh, to be more accurate um, and it embedded itself and for a practice and again this is why you know it, you would you could be forgiven for believing that it's controversial whether or not um, circumcision is medically beneficial. The truth of the matter is, if you scratch a little beneath the surface, it's not controversial at all. It's quite obvious that what you have is a long, long history of people figuring out ways to justify a practice. And in our culture, if a practice is to survive, and this is this applies to Canada as well as the United States and the post-industrialized world in general, for a practice to survive, you need a scientific reason for it. So. 4,000 plus studies now exist on the so-called medical benefits of circumcision. A bizarre situation that cutting off a normal part of the anatomy would generate <laughs> that kind of body of, of work. And, and unfortunately to this day, none of them have proven, um, I think, to any kind of uh, scientific standard that this is definitely beneficial or beneficial enough to recommend routinely. And that's not a controversial statement whatsoever. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to let you know we have about five minutes left for questions because at 10 o'clock we have to be out of here. So I want to ask a question of Ali, okay? Change things up. <laughs> Ali, do you believe that God commanded Abraham to circumcise himself and his children and his household? <sighs> That's a big question. Um, but for me to answer it, I have to go into what I think the word God means and what I think the word commandment means and what I think being Jewish means. Um, let me see if I can put this in a nutshell. Um, 
I think we have very different ideas about what God is. And um, so if I'm to answer your question directly, I don't believe in the God that you believe in. Um, I don't believe in a separate uh, personality that's transcendent and a separate existence from reality. So, um, therefore, in your language, the answer would be no. But that doesn't mean that I'm an atheist or that I um, don't have an appreciation for the spiritual. Uh, it just means that my conception of the spiritual is different from yours. And um, I dare say that there are many, um, many thinkers in the history of the illustrious history of the Jewish tradition who also disagree with your conception of God. Should we take one more question, please? Please. Um, so, I'm an atheist, so this whole, you know, God stuff to me is, you know, kind of funny. But I, I know a lot of Jewish people, and we talk about stuff like circumcision all the time. And every single person I've spoken to about circumcision and about circumcising their sons, the reason they do it, and even though they agree with everything I tell them, is not that they fear any religious consequence or any problem with God, but with the community. Every single person says, I will be ostracized by my community. I, I think God would be fine with me not doing it, but you know, I would lose my entire you know, support system. And the, the Jewish community, especially in cities like Montreal, where it's a big community, is very tight-knit, very close. So I'm wondering if there's any way to get past that, if there's any solution to that problem. Who are you, are you asking me? Uh, the panel? Well, I assume you don't think there needs to be a solution to this, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on, sorry. I don't know if you think that there needs to be a solution of course, of to, course. Needs to, be to solution you know, this. To everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think it's a problem, but I want to know your thoughts on that. Of course, of course. Uh, since I spoke the most, uh, I'll I'll leave my I'll I'll go to the I could go to the end and let you okay. address the question first and just take a minute at the end. Okay. Um, I, I think I have just a short comment on. Well, I think that the fears are largely um, unfounded. I think that it's not something that anyone has to know about. Um, now, of course, you know, because it's such a public ceremony, so word travels, all this and that. But I, I honestly think that people have a tendency to overblow both the social and the ritual and religious consequences of leaving a boy intact, um, even in the Jewish community. You heard it from my father, who's a, you know, I mean, oh, thank, but he's, he's an extremely intelligent, very learned man. And he made the sociological argument. He explained exactly what you're saying. He felt that you know there was no choice in the matter. Um, so I, I think that's true. I also think uh, over the course of the next 10 years, um, as uh, the, this idea of circumcision being a problematic act, not just a choice, but a problematic act, takes, starts to take hold in the United States and in Canada especially, I think you're going to see a cultural shift that will be mirrored in the larger Jewish community because the vast majority of Jews who live on this continent um, are not really um, observant. I'm not sure if that's true in Montreal though. Every single Jewish person I know that I work with that, you know, they observe, they're, right. they're kosher, okay. and, they observe and, and, the and Shabbat, for this reason, they, they do the mikveh, they do everything. So. I mean, uh, there's a huge 
Yeah, no, no, for well, sure. Even outside for sure. of the Hasidic community, no, 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 Montreal, but I think it's very no, no. Very I, I, I think I think it's absolutely fair to say, for example, that the vast majority of North American Jews have their babies circumcised in hospitals, mm -hmm. um, and that should tell you a lot about where their commitments lie. Mm -hmm. the, the family that I followed in my film, who were very unaffiliated, were on the verge of not having a ritual circumcision done at all. They were going to do it in the hospital. The last minute, the husband prevailed, and, and it ended up happening. But. Um, uh, this is interesting also for another reason, which is that people who have it done in the hospital actually are preventing that individual from ever participating in a ritual brit milah. It's, a, it's, another, it's another story. But I think that um, Jews, and you, we see this in Europe and we see this in South America, in, in, in cultures where circumcision is not a normative practice, it, there's much lower rates of it among Jews. Um, the, the, the final thing I want to I point out on this is that I think it... it it takes a few, um, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition, we call, and in Hebrew, there's an expression to be a nachshon, or if you're a woman, to be a nachshonit. And it refers to a biblical character who was the, according to the Midrash, the first person to step into the, the Red Sea before it split. Oh. Um, and he actually, the, according to the story, he had to go out and, and swim a little bit before anything happened. Um, and it, it's, it's this concept of a person going out on faith, as mm -hmm. it were, and, and doing something different because they believe that's the right thing. I think there, there are a growing number, um, and I, I'm not, I don't want to overstate the phenomena, but there are a growing number of vocal Jewish people, like myself, who are speaking out about this practice. And I think that um, it, it will come to a point where, again, unaffiliated Jews um, who have no other form of religious identity other than the fact they circumcise their sons, uh, will not be doing this in the same numbers. And may I express my hope that at the very least they explore some of the really beautiful sides of the Jewish tradition and some of the less problematic sides of it. Um, Shabbat observance, I keep coming back to this, but I'm a big fan of the Shabbat. Oh, me too. And As an atheist, I'm a big fan of most Jewish traditions. <laughs> yeah, and the I ritual, think... The ritual, the continuity of... And I, I don't know what Rabbi Bula would say about this, but um, I would be very happy if... A lot of these unaffiliated Jews, instead of deciding to circumcise their sons, chose to explore something like Shabbat or Kashrut instead. Well, what about Brish Shalom? And I love the concept of the word Shalom, meaning whole as well as peace. I think that's really exciting. It's, I'm going to, uh, to reply to you, Ellie. The, the problem, again, is this is your, your intellect. This is not uh, Judaism. This is not Torah. Torah is made up of 613 commandments. It was offered to the other nations of the world. The other nations of the world said, what's in it? God said, not to steal. And one nation said, no, 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 that happens to be something we like to do a lot of. We don't want it. God offered it to another nation, and they asked, what's in it? Said, not to kill. Oh, we happen to like to kill. We like to go to war a lot. We don't want it. And then God offered it to the Jews. And they didn't ask, what's in it? They said, We'll take it. We'll do it. Whatever you say. Nasev Nishma. First we'll do it. So that's the principle. That's, the, again, the core principle. That's the core difference of what you're espousing. If you want to go around espousing to people, like you said, on the fringe, that's the, exactly the danger. You're saying to the people on the fringe, the last, the last thing that they're holding on to, for whatever reason, out of fear to be ostracized out of their community, I say it's internal, even there's an internal clock within us that for whatever reason, that internal clock beats and we want to be 
connected in whatever way. Some people, it might be the Shabbos, some people it's the bris, but certainly with everybody, there it's all the mitzvahs, but the bris especially, like you said, they could be on the greatest fringe, but it's, and, and people say it's the community, sometimes people will say it's the community, they're blaming it on the community, it's an easy out because they really can't express it. If you say, why are you doing it? You know, you don't keep Shabbat, you don't keep kashrut, why are you doing it? There's something internal, you know, my father did it and this and that, you know, there's something there that's still, there's still a piece, let me just finish the point, there's still a piece of that chain that's still there. And they want to blame it, of course, because since they can't intellectually uh, s support it, and it would be hard, it's very hard for me to intellectually support it unless I bring out a lot of philosophy and chassidus, and again, that's not necessary, we didn't have the time for that as much as I would have loved to do that. But uh, for, for the person that's on the fringe, they can't, they can't intellectualize it and to defend it. The easiest way is always to blame it on somebody else. Say, oh, it's the community. If I don't do it, they'll look down on me or my kid will be ostracized. That's what I'm doing. I say they're doing it because it's something inside. The internal soul, the nefesh alakis, is telling them to do it. Do it. Stay connected. Don't be disconnected. Not even temporarily have that cover on what, again, this is philosophical. Then we don't I'm have sorry, the time Robert. for it. Let me just finish, I'll finish my point. So to, for you to go around and espousing, and this is gonna get into that dangerous area that we talked about at the beginning, Ellie, when you said, I'm happy to see you. I said, I hope we're, we're still gonna be happy to see me at the end. It's not at the beginning that it has to be happy to see <laughs> another person, it's at the end. So I say this, and I've come here only with good intentions, only with love, and I say this to you, that you should really reconsider this position. This idea that you, with all your past education, and are going to espouse that, oh, let's do something else other than bris, and you know, keep Shabbos. We know the person on the fringe, they don't want to keep Shabbos. This is a, quite a big endeavor in a way, even though you'd say the operation's a big endeavor, but as they always say, the operation on somebody else is only a little operation. So that's why the parent is, is willing to do it. It was done to them. It was done to their father, their grandfather. They want to keep that. that this is what is the witness in a sense that God spoke to millions of people. And you want, you are, you're espousing to remove that witness. This, to do that is, again, is to try to eradicate, and I hate to be dramatic, this is the same thing as assimilation. This was the argument, you know, that our parents made to us so much so, begged us and instilled within us, within a Jewish people, not to intermarry. Not because the, that the Gentile is any worse, maybe they're better than us, but that our whole faith, our whole witness, our education will come, become so watered down because you're mixed, two cultures, it's getting all mixed up, and the continuation of what people died for, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not there, you're not supporting it, something that people were willing to die for. So to espouse this idea, oh, let them keep Shabbos, let them keep Kashrus, we know it's a pipe dream. If they wanted to, to keep it, they would have kept it. It's a very hard uh, path for the person to go back to. Yes, God willing, they'll go back, and many people go back. And this is the argument I'm gonna make to you also. If there's, a rev there's a revolution in this world. There's a revol I'm here testifying to the revolution. People are, we're, we're fed up. We're not gonna stand for it anymore. People are turning back to their roots. It's the time of tshuva, which is the time of shuv, turning back to the roots. It's not a time to turn away from our roots. It's a time to turn back to the essence and turn to the core. Well, that must be the kindest rebuke I have ever gotten <laughs> in my life from a rabbi. So I just wanna acknowledge that. Um, we really have only 10 seconds because 
So I'm afraid it's a municipal bylaw. Unfortunately, it's very unfortunate. But uh, we have five minutes to pack everything up. So just one quick okay. question, please. No, it's not a question. It's a comment. Every society has laws, and uh, a society adheres to its laws, right? So this is more than a commandment. This is a law. This is uh, the 16 and 13 laws of Moses, okay, of, of, of God. So as an individual, you have to adhere to the laws of a society in any society, in any country, in any community. Or try to change them if you have a problem with them. There Thank you no very much. There is no problem in it. There is no problem with this law. There's no problem with circumcision? Because as he said, if, if it's malpractice, it's a problem. But if it's done well, it's done well, you know? And some people uh, say the opposite. I, I, say, I w once asked this question, how comes uh, the circumcised, you know? Say, oh, to have more pleasure. So she says the opposite, and also said the mm, opposite. But that's just... It's, uh, it's debatable. It's not debatable. You have to make a No, I'm afraid it's not debatable. That's the one point we agree on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very no much for coming. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.